Hey, Springs, everybody watching online. So excited to be with you guys. Y'all, I wanna start out today with a word. And I think when you hear this word, it's gonna make you a little nervous perhaps, get you a little concerned about where we might be going. And I'm so excited for that. The word is misinformation. Misinformation. I know some of y'all are already nervous. Guys, if you're like me, here's what you've likely been having conversations about or talking with people about, because here's a lot of conversations I've been having. In response to COVID-19, to this pandemic, people coming and saying, there's so much misinformation. There's so much falsehood, not enough truth. There's so much lies, not enough reality. And then this question, what am I supposed to believe? What's actually true? What is actually accurate? Am I supposed to listen to this news outlet? Or am I supposed to listen to this news outlet? Am I supposed to listen to this social media post and link? Am I supposed to listen to this social media post and link? Am I supposed to listen to this politician or this politician? Where's lies? Where's truth? Where's truth? Where's lies? All this misinformation, what am I supposed to believe? So excited to use that as an example for really where we're going today in this passage. Really, right now, people are wrestling with, what should I believe? Where do I find truth? Who really knows truth? What does that look like? Guys, this is absolutely applicable to COVID-19. But this has been a question people have been wrestling with in a much grander, more severe, more consequential way that people have been wrestling with for an eternity. I use this as almost this object lesson for those of us who believe in Jesus. While a world is wondering what's true, what's false, while the world is wondering, I don't know what I'm supposed to believe. Church, you are the one that has truth. You are the one that can dispel misinformation. You are the one that can determine the right from wrong, the truth from the falsehood, the reality from the lies. And I'm so excited because far beyond COVID-19, that's gonna be a question people ask. And that is a question we must be ready to answer. I'm excited to talk about today how those who believe in Jesus, the unashamed, as we've been talking about for the past two weeks, the unashamed, what are we? We are guardians of truth. Guardians of truth. We know the difference between right and wrong, truth and falsehood. Does that make us self-righteous? No. But is it a capital T truth? Yes. And why I love that is I need to specify capital T truth. Stay with me for a minute while I explain it. We live in a post modern culture society. Essentially what that means is now there's this guiding belief, the guiding philosophy that all truth is relative. It's where we get the whole idea. What's true for you is not true for me. Wait, no. If you think one plus one equals two, and I think one plus one equals four, one of us is wrong. There's truth. But postmodern society has this idea of there's no such thing as absolute truth, right? There's no such thing as absolute truth. And even if you're listening to that, then here's what you probably already know. You know that that statement is in and of itself a truth claim. So it's this idea that everything's relative. Do for you what feels right to you because what's true for you is true for you and it has no impact on me. Who really even knows truth? Guys, that idea is misinformation. That's why we have an entire people, culture, society, based on the sense of self-discovery, self-truth, self-care, where they are seeking to find truth in and of themselves. That's not where you're gonna find it. 
Where does it come from? If you're a believer in Jesus, here's what you know. You know it comes from Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. That, that's why if you're watching this and you don't believe in Jesus, you're a non-believer, you're wrestling with faith, anything like that. That's why Christians come. And they hopefully, faithfully, they are loving, they are kind, they are humble, they are gentle, they are respectful. But they are guardians of truth, capital I'm excited to talk about how you and I, we are called to be guardians of truth. We're continuing in our series through 2 Timothy, where today we're, we're going to look at chapter 1. We're going to finish it out. We're going to look at verses 13 all the way down through 18, where we're going to see how we are guardians of truth. Christians are the anti-misinformation of the most important questions that people have ever and will ever ask. It is such a privilege. This is such an exciting thing for us, guys. And we're going to talk about how guardians of truth, we do that in three ways. One, we hold fast to the truth. Two, we uh, guard the truth, excuse me. And three, we know where truth takes us. We know where truth takes you. To set up the context, if you remember from last week, we're continuing 2 Timothy. Paul's writing a letter to Timothy. He's a church leader. Timothy's facing persecution and opposition, difficulty. People want to kill him, kill followers of Jesus Christ, bad times. He's writing to Timothy to be unashamed, to be courageous in his faithfulness, courageous in his leadership. And last week we talked about how what happens as you become unashamed, as you grow in godliness. You will suffer for it. We talked about how as you grow in faithfulness, this is going to hurt. It's not going to be easy to always be a Christian. Does persecution look like for us in New Braunfels the same way it did for Timothy or even today in other places of the world? No. We talked about how it's most often this mild criticism or severe criticism but last week we saw we're called to be unashamed and knowing suffering comes this is going to hurt this week what paul's instructing timothy is you're called to be unashamed timothy we are called to be unashamed church leaders and this idea that we are guardians of truth so if you have a bible grab it turn with me second timothy chapter one today we're going to jump back and forth between 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy to get some information, so you'll just be ready to turn a little to the left. But grab your Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to read 13 through 18, and then we're going to come back up to 13. Follow the pattern. This is Paul to Timothy. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are well aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know well all the service that he rendered us at Ephesus. So that's your context. It's this call to unashamed, guardians of the truth. And at the end there, he gave examples, right? But stay with me. We'll talk about that in a minute. Jump back up to verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guys, the first principle is, is we talk about how you and I, believers in Jesus Christ. And again, I'm speaking to church leaders. I'm speaking to believers that you are called to be a guardian of truth. But the first thing is you must hold fast to truth. Hold fast. Right here, you see this. Paul uses the word follow. Follow, your Bible, it may say retain. It's this word, when you really study it, it means to cling, to hold on to, to hold fast to. 
I like think about in my mind, I don't know if you've ever gone rock climbing, you like come up and you're reaching and you're trying to get this great grip and you finally found this boulder or this placement and you can get this firm grip and what are you doing? And you are holding on with everything you have. That, that's what he's saying. And then what are we supposed to cling to? What are we supposed to hold fast to? The pattern, it's this standard. And what's the standard? Paul says, the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. Let me look at my notes to make sure I reference the correct verse. What he's saying here is he's actually alluding to a letter that he wrote to Paul before, excuse me, a letter Paul wrote to Timothy before this. It was 1 Timothy. He's referencing here chapter 6, verses 3 through 4. So if you have a Bible, you basically just turn a little to the left, right? And then we're going to look at chapter 6, 3 through 4. Paul says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine, remember that, a different doctrine, and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. So what he's saying, if anyone's saying anything other than the sound words, the doctrine of God, doctrine, it just means instruction. It's holy teaching. What does it say about that? Verse four, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. He goes on. Basically, it's not good. He draws out this comparison. He's talking with Timothy, saying, hey, Timothy, you need to follow the pattern of the sound words that you heard from me. The sound words there, it's the doctrine of God. It's this holy instruction. That holy instruction, it speaks to not just the gospel, this truth of how you can be saved, how heaven, it's not full of, of good people. It's full of forgiven people who by faith believed in Jesus. It's that, but it's also the entire counsel of God, how we are called to live in accordance with his words. I, I love this because Paul's going after something that we right now have a huge problem with. Postmodern culture, everything, this culture that's all about us, us, us. He goes after this idea of there's no such thing as hashtag. I know not a lot of you hashtag, right? But there's no such thing as hashtag my truth. No such thing as that for a Christian. Why? There's no such thing as your truth. All truth is God's truth. Jesus Christ is truth. You don't have hashtag my truth. You have hashtag his truth. Can you decide whether or not you walk in accordance with it? Can you decide whether or not you want to be faithful or disobey? Yeah, totally. But there's no such thing as hashtag my truth. You have a truth that has been revealed. You have a truth that has been authoritatively preserved by the hand of God, Holy Spirit inspired through the authorship of men. Doctrine, sound words, that's what we follow. You hold fast to that. You hold fast to it. And then it says how you're supposed to do it. The next part he continues on, it talks about the attitude here. This mindset that we're supposed to have as you cling and hold fast to truth. Because so many times, right, if you grow up, you hear people, um, or even around, it, it's like, what are you if you, you trust in the Bible? You're a Bible thumper. Christians do not beat people over the head with the Bible. We instruct in faith, as it says, and in love. In faith, I love this because Paul even goes to talk about what's true of the believer. Believers in Christ can have doubts. Do you know that? Your Bible literally says, have mercy on those who doubt. So as you go to do it, as you cling to the truth of God, there will be things in your life that you want to wrestle with, that you want to ask questions about, that you don't fully understand. Here's what you need to know. We as church leaders welcome the doubter, welcome the questions. We're not scared by them. If all truth is God's, then no amount of scrutiny can change it. There are great questions. You know what's also true, leader? There are tremendous answers. 
So as you hold up the truth about God, you will hold that truth by faith, right? It's a confidence in God. The next thing you do is you hold it in love. We are called to speak truth. We are called to be guardians of truth, but you do so in love. We're not called to be jerks with this. We are called to be loving, kind, respectful. That's why so many times I come and I hang out with people and Christians get upset with, with those who don't believe, right? For what I would call like a third tier issue, like a behavior issue. When here's the reality, we need to come and talk about how, yeah, you and I are going to handle behavior differently. You and I are going to handle voting differently. You and I are going to handle dating differently. You and I are going to handle parenting differently. But we don't really need to get upset about that. Like, if you're going to be offended by me in any way, I think the disagreement it actually starts with, I believe God in heaven walked the world, lived a perfect life, died for the sins of the world, rose from the grave three days later, and ascended to the right hand of the Father. I believe that's true, and I believe he's coming again. I think that's where we disagree. So, so we can talk about this. I'm, I'm happy to, but I'd really rather talk about this. You see, guys, you come, and we have the responsibility to, to always guard doctrine, the truth, the instruction about God, doctrine. But we got to be really careful that people don't get offended by the delivery. Now, sometimes, here's what I'll tell you, sometimes you do your best, and they're still offended by the delivery, even though it's the best you could have possibly ever done. And what should you do? Be humble. Be willing to learn. Own your part, all the while saying, hey, can I ask your forgiveness for how I said that? But I need to, I need to reaffirm what I said. Why? We hold fast to truth. Let's keep going. Let's look at verse 14. Paul goes on, verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, so he's going to clarify it, and he's going to give the command. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. As we see, we're called to be guardians of the truth. Our second point, surprise, is what are we supposed to do? Guard the truth. Right here, this word guard, even last week, we've talked about it. It's the language for a century. One who stands at a post, guarding. And then what are we supposed to guard? The good deposit entrusted to you. This language, it may remind some of us, if you look back up there in verse 12, it uses the same language of guard. But it's different here. What's taking place in verse 12 is it's talking about you are called to guard your life in Christ. It's speaking the reality of your salvation that is secured by God. Is that what it's saying here in verse 14? No. It's different now. It's shifting and it's talking about, no, no, you guard the deposit entrusted to you. It's speaking about truth. Not just salvation, but the truth that God has given to you, the truth that God has revealed. You guard it in your own life as well as in the lives on behalf of others. How do we know that? Again, we go back uh, to 1 Timothy. If you go back to 1 Timothy, you may not even have to turn the page. You go to verse 20 of chapter 6, excuse me. It says this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Okay, that's the same language. Now we're going to figure out what's that deposit. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. It's speaking about doctrine and truth. And I love this, guys. Because as you go to proclaim truth, what will there be this sense in people who disagree with you? They will view what is false. That's what, that's what Paul said, right? 20 centuries ago, two millennia ago, they're the same problem that we face today. People will say how foolish how unintellectual and how unwise you are for saying that. But what are you called to guard in your own life? You guard truth. You, you self-preach the reality of I am known, I am loved. 
I am redeemed. I am forgiven. That's truth in your life. I am secure in my eternity in God with heaven. What else do you guard in your own life? The doctrines of God, even beyond that. Here's how I'm supposed to live in the holiness, my marriage, my purity, my parenting, my generosity, my sexuality. You're meant to guard that. You're meant to guard the beautiful means of grace, God's sovereign love and care, his redemptive plan for our humanity, the fact that he has existed eternally as one God, three persons. He came and lived this world fully God, fully man. I hope what you're hearing, Christian, is me reference what, what your Bible would call the whole counsel of God. Obviously, I'm not able to say it all right here. But this theme of we are meant to be guardians of all of it. Why? It's beautiful truth that leads to a life of godliness. And that's why we get the qualifier before. You get that at the start of verse 14. Back in 2 Timothy chapter 1, the qualifier before, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit. You have a helper. Like the moment that you become a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you, lives inside. God himself helps you guard the truth. And guys, here's why this matters so much. You and I need that helper because guarding truth is hard. It's hard to do it in our own lives. Like we have creeping doubts. We have a fallen nature that can still lie to us. Hey, it doesn't really matter if I push this boundary with my boyfriend and my girlfriend, right? It doesn't really matter if I kind of lie in this business deal. Like, God will understand, and it's really for my boss. It doesn't really matter if I continue to self-isolate, and I don't really live in the existence of community the way God wants. Those people don't really know me anyways. I don't really trust them, and people have hurt me in the past. Do you see, we are the best liars to ourselves. We need to guard that truth and need a helper of the Holy Spirit. The other thing is, is as you go, and this is even outside of your own life, and you go to guard that truth to Christians, right? So we've started with you, now we're going to Christians. So many times I come up with Christians that will say, hey, hey, God loves you just as you are. You're taking this whole, whole call to obedience way too seriously. Just preach the gospel, everything else, man. We'll figure it out in heaven. Ah. Uh, Sorry. Means well, right? It's a half-truth, though. God loves you just as you are. But God loves you too much to leave you as you are. That is absolutely true of me. His grace is meant to fuel a pursuit of holiness. We are meant to be obedient. Jesus says, the people who know me, who love me, they are the ones who obey me. Does that mean that we're perfect and sinless? No. But does that mean that as Christians, by faith in the God and creator of the universe, we should sin less? Yes. But do you see how you got to guard that truth, even from other Christians? Hey, don't take this too serious, man. Why are you doing that? Well, I, I feel that. You guard the truth, the, the church, the gathering. We never closed during COVID. We don't need to reopen because we never closed. The church, it's not a building. It's a, it's a people. It's a believing people. Like, you, you need to guard the truth that this is somehow some event that you come and you check the box on Sunday morning, not something that has captured your entire life, the discipleship of your family and your soul. You got to guard that from other Christians. You got to guard that from yourself. And you know how you also have to guard that from? People who don't believe this. As I go to list some of these things, I do want to say it's just honest. It's just language culture's using now. And Christians, you have to be ready for that. But as I go to use these language, I want to reinforce this truth. Let people be offended, and our goal is never to offend, but let people be offended by doctrine. If you have questions about that, see last week where we talked about how this is going to hurt and you will suffer as you grow in being unashamed. Let them be offended by the doctrine, not the delivery. 
You are called to love people with mercy and grace and kindness, not condemning. You don't judge non-believers, Christian. You know who we judge biblically? Christians judge Christians, not in condemnation, but in a heart of, hey, can I help you excel still more? But here's some of the language you might hear from people who don't believe what we believe, and it makes sense, right? They don't believe what we believe. They can define their own truth. But you might hear, hey, you're a prude. Well, why am I a prude? Because you won't push boundaries with boyfriend or girlfriend, or you, or you allow a, a sexual ethic in your life to be defined by holiness, not by desire. You've prude, right? Hey, you are a uh, radical. Hey, you're taking this too far. The fact that you're trying to go and share your faith with other people, you're really pushing your belief system on to others, especially with kids. That might be a system of brainwashing. You lovingly, you kindly, you say, it's only that if it's not absolutely true. Here's another one. Here's another one. Hey, you're a bigot. You're misogynistic. Why? Let's say that you embrace the biblical standard that husbands, you are called to be the spiritual leader and you are of your home. You lead your wife, you lead your family. Does that mean that your wife is not a co-equal with you? No, but you have a divine role before God and you will give an account as the primary shepherd in conjunction with your wife for it. But what if you embrace that role? What, what if a wife were to come along and say, I follow? And as we submit to one another out of reverence to Christ, I submit to him. What if that misogynistic, bigot? Well, that's not progressive, that's old. Guard the truth. What if you come and you say God has a standard of holiness both against heterosexual sin and homosexual sin? What if you say his word, it's clear. It's meant to become, it makes every person competent and equipped. What if they call you a homophobe? What if they say, when you, when you say, he has made man and woman, and that language they say, you're a transphobe. Guys, I, I know that even the talk, it took this, this turn, but here's the reason I share that. There's a reality to the difficulty. To Paul, he's writing to Timothy in the midst of opposition and persecution. We don't face persecution like Timothy faced. We, we don't face that like even other parts where Christians in the world face. But what do we face? A culture that's opposed. Mild to severe criticism. Will you guard the truth? You will need the help of God. We are never meant to be bullies with the Bible. We are meant to be lovers, friends, missionaries. But what do we do? We guard the truth. There is no glory in watering down or tiptoeing around the doctrines and the beautiful things of God. Do we focus on what matters most in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes, we go for that. But do we forsake the beauty of his word? Never. It is our authority. It is our conscience. It is our God. We are firm where it's firm, and we will be flexible where it's flexible. And when people try to make, especially in Christian circles, the Bible flexible where it's abundantly clear that it's firm, we will guard it. You must guard it. Now, let's keep going, right? We're going we're gonna to read now verses 15 through 18. And if you remember the context, this is where there's two different examples that are given. One is going to be a warning and the other is going to be an example. I'm going to read 15 through 18 and then I'm going to jump back up to 15. You, so Paul's still talking to Timothy, you are aware 
that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Hey guys, these are folks who turned away. They're going to serve as the warning, right? Now we're going to hear the example. Verse 16. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Guys, you and I are called to be guardians of truth. The next thing that you need to know, you need to know where the truth takes you. Where the truth takes you. The first way, if you forsake truth, if you don't guard it, you will become a warning to those who do. That's what you see right here in, in 15. Paul, who'd come, he planted that church in Asia, right there where Timothy was. He'd come and he'd established it. These people, the apostolic teaching, the, re the revelation of God, they turned away from it. And Paul's going to list two leaders, right? Phygelus and Hermogenes. You might be wondering, like I was like, why did Paul list names? Like, why did Paul do that? Why did he put these people on blast in this letter? And here's why. And this is why it really serves as a warning to you and a warning to me. We're going to jump back in 1 Timothy. So turn to the left. I, I have to go one page. We're going to chapter 5, verse 20. Paul wrote this to Timothy. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them where? In the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. They served as a warning. Coming back to 2 Timothy, Phygelus and Hermogenes were very likely church leaders. The context of 1 Timothy 5, it's elders, men who are called to be above reproach, not sinless, but never persisting in sin. And it came, and these men, what did they do? They stopped being, they, they began to be ashamed. They began to no longer guard the truth. And over time, what happened to them? It's the same thing that could happen to me. It's the same thing that could happen to you. It's the same thing that might have already been happening to you. And God wants to use this time to wake you up. They went down that slippery slope, that fade. Second Peter chapter 1, it talks about this, this idea of when you're not growing in godliness, what happens to you over time? You become ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. These men had become ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. They served as a warning. And then there was Onesiphorus, right? Onesiphorus switches. He was the servant who cared for the church in Asia. And then when he found out Paul was in Rome, it's this amazing example. Found out Paul was in Rome. What does he do? He goes to Rome. He's looking for Paul. What were people trying to do then? They're trying to kill Christians in Rome. Romans wanted to do that. He's running around Rome trying to find Paul. That's courage. Do you think they asked him what he believed as he was looking for Paul? Do you think he guarded the truth? Do you think he told them? I think he did. I think you see this beautiful moment where Paul's celebrating. He speaks this blessing on the household and then even says, and this is the part I want you to hear, church. This is the part why this matters, okay? This matters. He even says about Onesiphorus that his faithfulness will be brought back up when? Where is it? Oh, from the Lord on that day. Church, what it takes to go to heaven is faith. But from that moment of faith, there will come a future day of judgment. You don't have to fear that day. Perfect love casts out fear. 
Fear has to do with punishment, but it's in that God will evaluate your faithfulness in mine. Right here, Paul's saying this beautiful example of Onesphorus is going to serve as this testimony of faithfulness and reward. It matters how you guard the truth. I can remember even when I first came to the Springs, there's just this theme, and it means well, where people say, man, just be about the gospel. Everything else we'll figure out later. That, that sounds good. It's just completely unbiblical. Like Jesus' first sermon in Matthew 5, he said, whoever teaches these things, referencing the holy word of God, whoever teaches these things and does these things will be called great. Whoever doesn't do these things, whoever doesn't teach these things will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Church, it matters whether or not you guard the truth. It matters that you understand, because here's the reality. Going back to Hermogenes and Phygelus, the ones who served as a warning, before that, they'd been appointed elders. They were faithful. They were God-fearing. They were the ones that Paul and Timothy, the, the people around, looked and said, no, those are the leaders that we want. Those are the men that we want to follow. And what happened? I, I imagine, and we don't fully know, there was definitely a drift, but I, I imagine this slow drift. And whatever happens in that, it's where we begin to do two things. We begin to diminish the role of God's word in our life. We say, ah, did it really say language back to Genesis 2, if you remember that, or excuse me, Genesis 3, if you remember that. Did God really say we begin to diminish the role of God's word in our life? The second thing that we begin to do is we begin to tolerate sin, what we were once opposed to, we now get a little comfortable with, and we begin to fade. And where does that lead us? We become ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. When what are we meant to be? Guardians of truth. Guys, that's the, such the exciting part here. Ephesus, through Timothy, God wanted to use to bring revival and redemption to the entire city. We here in New Braunfels, Schertz, Seguin, San Antonio, Austin, San Marcos, wherever, God is looking to bring redemption and healing. And who is he looking to do it through? His people. What does faithfulness entail, though, to be used? You point them to the truth. God's word is true. What do we do? We hold fast to it. We guard it. We defend it in our own life. We defend it even amongst Christians, whether they be confused or intentionally deceiving. And we are defended against non-believers. We do so with love, with gentleness, respect. We are not bullies with a Bible. We are preachers with a message. This is not a me thing in vocational ministry. This is a we thing. We are church leaders. You do this with your kids. You do this with your spouse. You do this with your neighbors. You do this with your family. You do this with your friends. You do this with your coworkers. This is what we do. We are guardians of truth. This truth set us free. But we must live by it. So many times, I think, when it comes to really living this out, though, people want to defend and guard things, right? They, they want to hold the convictions that they don't even know. They don't even understand it. If you find yourself wondering, hey, why do I biblically hold that I'm saved by grace through faith? If you find yourself wondering, how could God be? God is one yet in three persons. If you find yourself wondering, why would God say that purity matters to him? Why would God say that sexual sin is offensive? Homosexual, heterosexual, it doesn't matter. Sin is offensive. Why would God say that there's only one way to him? What does God's word say about the role of community in my life? What does God's word say about topic after topic after topic after topic? We will help you. Reach out. We will disciple you. We will equip you. Because here's what you're called to be. A guardian of truth. Start in your family. 
starting your community group, whatever we can do to serve, we want to. Because knowing truth sets you and then the overflow of that, other people free. I'll, I'll close with this. There were two men in my life that uh, at a formative stage, right before I was able to get married to Taylor, really helped me with a biblical doctrine, a theology of marriage. Okay? One, he, he instructed me on God's word. I went to him and I said, hey, I think the way a lot of Christians talk about biblical marriage is wrong. And he sat down. He turned pages with me. He showed me the truth. He was a guardian of it as well as a shepherd of my soul. And I left there saying, man, I was wrong. I had an incomplete view of marriage, and he showed me this beautiful one, this divine one, this idea, it's covenant. There was a second guy. He was one, he played more of like a pastoral shepherd role in my life, even as Taylor and I got married, really investing into me, pouring into me. He and his own past, he'd had a broken marriage, but they walked in repentance, and there'd been beauty. It's like one of those couples you get around them, and you just love being with them because you can tell how in love they are. And it's kind of weird because at that point I was like early 20s and he was like early 60s. It was a little strange for me at the time. But it's just beautiful. And every day I got to see him. He had to study, fight to defend truth in his own life, fight to abide with Christ, to walk by faith, to invest in his wife, to invest in his love for God. And he did it actively. My other friend, the first one who instructed me in the way of marriage, I saw him occasionally, not quite to the same degree, but over time. He stopped defending and guarding that truth in his own life. This man who was an instructor of the beauty and the doctrine of marriage, he began to allow that to erode in his own life. And he, he became the warning, not the example. So much so to where he abandoned his wife and pursued things that he just felt like he wanted. And even in talking, it was the language of, I know it's wrong, but this is what I want. Church, the world is full of folks who don't know God as well as those who do, who either guard truth or they forsake truth. We are capable of both. I am capable of both. And what is our call? Every day, the unashamed are guardians of truth in our own life. In the lives of those who believe, in the lives of the community, God in heaven sent Timothy to bring peace through that church, through that people at that time, even in the midst of difficulty. He has sent us for such a time as this. We're guardians of truth. We are not bullies with the Bible, but we are ministers. We are messengers. We are preachers. This is not a me thing. This is a we thing, church. And if you're watching this and you don't believe in Jesus, here's what I'm telling you. This is the greatest message, the greatest truth ever told. It transformed my life. Ask the members of our body. Do it virtually or when you see them in person, ask them. They'll tell you it changes everything. That's why we defend it, because it's so precious. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what it means in my life. I thank you for the privilege it is to, to, to know it, have your Holy Spirit illuminate it in my life. Would you continue to do that? Would you make me faithful? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Guys, thank y'all so much for joining. Thank you guys for watching this. If you have questions about anything, please, phone number down below, reach out. Stay tuned for information this week to come in response to future openings about COVID-19 and what that means for us as a church. But we love y'all. Y'all go as guardians of truth. Have a great week of worship.